Everybody just take a deep breath. If you're a follower of Jesus, God would look at you and would say to you, look at you and say, hey, I love you and I have I have things for you. I have something for your life. And, and in your mind, you're like, oh, my gosh, God, what's this grand calling? He's like, and it, it could be something like that. Or it could literally say, hey, I have something for you today. And so I want you to recognize calling in this landscape to I literally, <coughs> excuse me, had this like. Thing over here that's massive, and I have, I just want you to love me well today as you raise your children. This is the, this is the area of calling. And the thing that I want us to begin thinking about is in the expectation of Jesus is that, that we're listening every day for the call that he has in our life at every moment. And so for Jesus, think about it. Jesus had a calling for 30 years to be a good son, a good brother, and to be a good neighbor, and to make some furniture. And he had to be faithful in that. It was a calling of God for 30 years and just, quote-unquote, mundane life to love God and to love his neighbor. And at age 30-ish... God speaks this grand calling to be the Savior of the world. Now, it was already there, but it was like, this is when it comes to fruition, right? And so I want you to think of that in mind when Jesus is doing this, God's doing this calling in your life. Some people, listen, some people freak out. Like, I just want to know. I just want to know what God's calling is in my life. I just want to know his purpose for me. I'm just so overwhelmed by it. And, and I would say, well, just love God and love your neighbor. That's your calling, right? And so in the context of life, there are small, there are medium, and then there is really large. But in the context of all of it, it's a matter of our obedience. And so when we talk about this calling, this, this week I was looking at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And in reading Luke chapter 12, I was like, this, I think this is, this is the crux, the center point for us, for all of us who are Christians, who are looking at the context of calling in our life and what God is calling for, for us to do, what he has for us in life, right? And, it, and, it, and the center point for me, this whole chapter, is in verse 31 and 32. I'm going to read these two verses. I'm going to kind of pinpoint other verses throughout the morning. 31 and 32, this is not going to be unfamiliar to you. For those of you who've been in church any time, any part of your life, it simply says this. But seek his kingdom. Matthew says in the same story, seek first the kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. The things he's talking about, if you remember, was like just things you needed in life to sustain life. Your needs, your needs, right? So seek his kingdom or seek first his kingdom. And all these things, your needs will be given to you as well. Verse 32. Let this verse sink in this morning. Do not be afraid, little flock. Do you love that little flock? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And if that were a movie, it would like pan off into like deep bass notes of dun, 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 right? Because this is this thing Jesus coming and saying, little flock, because I know all things. I want you to know that I know that the Father knows that we know together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we are pleased 
to give you the kingdom. So the nature of calling, we see that here in this verse. It says, seek the kingdom or seek first the kingdom. The idea of seeking has in mind pursuing and going after. You understand seeking, right? Seeking requires a level of energy on your part. Seeking means I can't see something fully. I don't know it fully, but I have to devote serious energy to go after it, right? If my child is lost, I'm seeking after my lost child to find them. I'm not going to give up. And so Jesus comes and says, seek the kingdom or seek first the kingdom. And the idea then is that, listen, it's speaking to priority and the primary pursuit of your life and of my life. So the idea then for him looking at among the disciples, his followers are saying, all right, everybody, listen, in your life, there are lots of things you can go after, devote your energy to. And all of us do. It'd be really good for you to name some of those and catalog those in your own life so you can know what you're going after. But this beautiful picture of going after, seeking first, priority, primary pursuit that we're going after. Right. So calling, he's saying in the context of calling, I'm looking for people who say, I wake up and my primary pursuit that I'm giving energy to is the kingdom of God. When Matt Waters sat here last week and told a story of, listen, he was living his life. He very easily could have muted Everybody say muted. Everyone could have muted or if he could have muted or silenced the voice of God in his life. Right. He could have said, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I like my CPA world. I'm making six digits here. I'm living the life. I don't really want. Oh, but Jesus. I hear the phone ringing. I know it's you. And I've picked it up and I've heard. I've listened. And I have heard you. And so in this context of calling, Jesus is saying the primary thing you go after is God's kingdom. It's not rocket science. It's not unclear. He's saying the primary, the primary focus of my followers is that's my kingdom. And the kingdom then is, is our inheritance, right? So we speak calling and seek first the kingdom, and then our inheritance for those who do is that he's pleased then to give it to us. And listen, I would encourage you to pick up some book probably written before the 1900s or at least, at least before 1950 written about the kingdom of God. I'm saying that because people who were older than us seemingly just understood some things better because they had less distractions and more time to pursue thoughts and prayers and ideas, right? The Unshakable Kingdom by E. Stanley Jones. Everybody needs to read it. It's a really long book. And it talks about the kingdom of God that has come but not yet fully. It's a beautiful picture. And there's volumes and volumes and volumes of books written about the kingdom of God. There's so much you could say about it. So I'm going to like overly, overly, overly simplify it for the context of our conversation this morning for us. Okay. And I want you to know in advance, I know I'm not making my one sentence big enough to paint a picture of the kingdom of God. But basically, I would say it this way. 
this, this idea. Everything, the kingdom of God is everything that is good. There's a part of God's world that we can and cannot see that was known and revealed in the Garden of Eden. Think about the Garden of Eden, the perfection that defined it, the joy and the happiness and the nearness and the intimacy of God, the interaction of perfection with, with creation where they're actually interacting and dialoguing, dialoguing with animals. because They didn't think it was strange that they were talking to a serpent. They didn't go, this is so crazy. They just thought it was natural, right? This whole dynamic of beauty and perfection, all this type of stuff. Think about the nature of the kingdom, the place that God's that God dwells, the place where he lives in the emotions, in the feelings. It's like good times all time. Right. Think about it. I've always said the thing I was praying one time, it's like, God, give me a picture of heaven. Right. The closest I can get. And I and all of a sudden I can't I can't relay it fully. But God just reminded me of the best moment and the best feeling and the best, like the best feeling and the best moment I'd ever had in my life. And it was like, I felt it and I experienced it like I never had before. Like it was like, I experienced it fresh and new. And God said, that's it. Times infinity is what heaven is like. And I'm like, Oh, I'm ready to go. God's kingdom what he desires. Remember, Jesus prays this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is spoken in heaven, right? And so what Jesus is getting at here is saying, all right, I want you in the context of calling in your life to seek first the kingdom and the kingdom is the goodness and the fullness and the and the and the godness of everything he is about says i want you that to be your inheritance here i want to manifest it i want to bring it i want my kingdom to break into a dying world Jesus said, when demons are cast out of you, my kingdom has come. My will has been established. I have brought freedom because that is my kingdom desire. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be a kingdom-minded people. The, the, the realm in which I live, I want you to look for it. I want you to desire it. And I want you, through your obedience, to allow it to be released through you in the areas that you live. How many of you want Jesus released into your areas of life? And he's saying that. I want to move. I have a calling that you would establish my kingdom. My, your inheritance is a movement of my kingdom. And so we continue on in Luke. So I want to say that, in my opinion, is the center point of the entire chapter of Luke 12. Jesus is speaking, saying, my desire for your life, whether it's big, middle, big, medium or small in the context of life, that you're listening to the phone call, right? The phone call every day of my spirit moving, saying, I want you to seek my desires, my pleasures, my kingdom. I want that to be a focus of your life. And then he speaks and says, but here are a few things you have to keep in mind if that's going to happen. So here we go. We're going to dive into, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I want you to see a few things. So in chapter 11, it's always important before you read chapter 12, you know what happened in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, it's really simple. Jesus got fed up with the Pharisees and he just let them have it. All right. He just let them have it. 
He is like, you hypocrites, you terrible people, you blah, 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 right? In verse 53 through 50, in 54, we see the Pharisees' response. As Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard, to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. I mean, could you imagine living your life with people looking at every single word that you say to try to catch you in something so that they could have you killed, basically? That's not happy. That's not happy times. That's not my happy place for sure, right? And so in the next four verses, Jesus comes and he warns them about the Pharisees. We see it in verse, uh, verse chapter, in the second part of verse one, second part of verse one says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so what I want you to see that Jesus is about to do right here in these next verses, he's going to say, for those, listen, those who are seeking the kingdom of God, there's going to be a tension in your life that you're going to wrestle with every day. It's going to be the fear of man versus the fear of rejection, excuse me, versus the fear of God, the fear of man versus the fear of of man, fear of man versus the fear of God. You think about the fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of failure, right? Fear of fear of ridicule, fear of death in man, right? So Jesus is naming this here. He's coming and naming this fear of man, right? Because in the fear of man, with the, the Pharisees, listen, these Pharisees were men the disciples had all looked up to. They knew them as men who were powerful, who, uh, who were in their community, right? They were wealthy men. They were men of influence. They had the power to, to support people, or they literally have the, the power to ultimately have people killed. How do we know this? Well, because they had Jesus killed. They ultimately had all of the disciples killed, or a lot of them were responsible for it. And so Jesus is speaking in the moment, knowing the disciples are human beings with human weaknesses and knowing that the fear of man could easily and would try to cripple them every day. Beware of the Pharisees, because he's recognizing they will be opposed to it'll be opposed to you from this point until you die. He's naming the sphere of man. But then Jesus shifts gears and he creates a perspective for all of them who would be seeking first the kingdom. We see it in verse four and seven. He says this, I tell you, my friends, so let's stop. Isn't it beautiful when Jesus calls you friend? Because there's something that happens when a person calls you friend where confidence is created. If I look at you today and say, you know what? Paula, you're actually a great friend of mine. I want you to know that. All of a sudden, Paula has, this is Paula right here. Paula Roach right here. Paula, raise your hand, right? This is Paula. And I would say to Paula, you are one of my closest friends. And all of a sudden, she goes, really? Well, I didn't know that. 
Well, hey, and all of a sudden a confidence in relationship is birthed in the moment because I just called her one of my closest friends. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're buddies, right? It's like, it's awesome. And so Jesus is looking over a mass of people whom he has never probably called friend before. And he looks at them and says, I call you friend. And they go, well, did you hear that? Jesus called me a friend. He was talking to me. No, he's talking to me. He was talking to us. And so he speaks into the moment of saying, you're not distant, you're not just servants, I'm calling you friends. And so it gives the words a new level of of weight in the moment. He says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after yet that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So he speaks into the moment. He creates this fear of the power, fear because of the power of God. He's looking at them and saying, yes, fear of man. They can kill you. But real power is found in the one who can determine your eternal destiny. He can kill and determine where you spend eternity. And he's saying, don't be afraid of people who can affect you in the temporal state. You need to be aware of the one who you'll be in relationship with and has authority for eternity in the eternal state. Give yourself a shift of view from here to here. And he's speaking in the moment about this ultimate power of God and this nature of, listen, reverence is a better word here. It is a level of fear, but it's really more of this reverence and of understanding and determining who God is. He's creating a comparison for kingdom-minded people, a life-lived focus on the earth and the fear of man. Or the fear, or a holy fear. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. One of the greatest struggles for each of us here, your greatest struggle, one of your greatest struggles, is living in the reality of a God whom you cannot see. Because you're so, we are all so bound by our five senses. And we wrestle And Jesus is trying to wake them, saying, guys, I want you to know there is an eternal reality. Senses beyond your five senses that awaken you to the reality of a God who is real, who is moving, who you can experience emotionally, who you can who you can have an experiential reality with in the context of understanding with your mind. I mean, there's this beautiful piece. He's naming kingdom minded people will wrestle with this tension, but we must be a people who are awakened to the spiritual. And he comes in. This is the next thing. And I love this part. He then he then creates this whole other new perspective. He wants to make this point saying fear God. But here's the second part. But God's love is primary. God's love is primary. I love this. It says, yes, I tell you, fear him. The end of verse five. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. 
You were worth more than many sparrows. Do you see what's happening? Yes, you need to have a holy reverence, a holy fear of God. But that should not be your defining knowledge of Jesus, of God, because the the defining characteristic of God is his love and his intimate knowledge of you. So he says, don't be afraid. He's so aware of the sparrows. You're more important than those. And he knows you so intimately. It's like, it's, a, it's just a phrase he's saying. I mean, God literally knows the numbers of hair, but he's making a statement. Like, he's so intimate, his knowledge of you, that he knows all the hairs on your head and all the ones you lost yesterday and all the ones you used to have. For some of you. There you go, Nick. Thank you, brother. All right? So get this whole dynamic going down. So let me create another imperfect analogy of painting this picture. Hey, Eddie has less hairs than you, Nick, so good job, buddy. All right. So here we go. Sorry, Eddie. I had to just call you out on that, man. All right. So the dynamic of this, what you're finding is this. My dad, when I, my dad's six foot four, 200 something pounds. He is a big man. His, his, his look that he would give people like he had like that resting mean face. I'm redeeming that phrase here, right? But resting mean face. He just, he looked mean. Like he will go places and he did not, I mean, he just didn't have a happy look on his face. And people feared my dad. I thought that was cool in some, in some realm, some way, right? Like, and so I'll never forget those moments when, when people would like, would disrespect my mom. Mm. <laughs> Man, I feel still feel sorry for those people. Or they disrespected or were mean to me. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. I mean, it was bad. And I would sit there and remember being little and my dad being huge. And I remember him being bowed up. And I remember his face, right? That was overwhelming, right? And I remember his fist just clenched and shaking, right? I remember him just taking things in his hands, like just, just throwing them just straight to the ground. I remember these moments, right? And in the moment I feared my dad, like, you know what I mean? Like a reverence, like this, this fear in the moment of like, oh, my dad. And like, I knew in the moment, this is not a moment you mess with him. This is not a moment that you're like, like question something, right? This is not the moment you do any of that. This is the moment you say, yes, sir. Only yes, sir, right? Or just shake your head really big so he knew what you were trying to say. But at a moment, I remember like in that moment where all of a sudden I go, dad. You know what happened to this? You'd be like this and you just go, Yes, son. Like, can you see that picture happening? Like, he would just... And he was engulfed in me. This was still happening. But this was happening even more. And if you asked me to describe my dad after that, I would not describe his scariness, even though he was scary, even though he was to be feared, even though I revered him. I would say, oh, my dad loves me. He thinks I'm awesome. He tells me all the time I'm the most important person in his life. Jesus is saying there is a reverence for God, a holy 
fear that we have that is true. And it's scary that God can determine our eternal destiny as well as literally physically kill us if he wanted to. Right. He has that power. He is greater than. But the defining characteristic is this. But don't be afraid. You are worth more. And this morning, some of you are saying this eternal perspective is like, I need to know that God. Because all I know is scary God. And it's hard for us to seek. The, Jesus is saying, if you're going to seek my kingdom, you have to be a I'm loved by God person, not a scary God person. So he goes on and says, all right, in the contest of seeking my kingdom, some really practical things going to happen in this verses 15 through 30 i'm not going to read all of them jesus then comes and you know what he does he says for those of you who are seeking the kingdom there are going to be lots of distractions you may say amen right lots of distractions in our life he comes i'm just going to kind of go through some of these in verse 15 verse 15 he says watch out be in your guard against all kinds of greed he just names greed right this desiring and wanting of more He's saying, be aware of greed. Verse 15, he goes on and kind of describes that. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's the second thing. Second distraction is possessions. Jesus in verses 16 through 20 goes on and tells a parable where a man builds a bigger barn to store more wealth that will allow him to eat, drink, and be merry for years to come. And Jesus says in verse 20, verse 21, I believe, says, you fool. You fool. Because verse 20 says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. You fool. Verse 20. It's powerful. He's saying, listen, greed and possessions. Last week, if you remember, Matt Waters was talking about that doctor friend that he met. And the doctor who had left this very, very, I mean, very, very uh, successful um, practice in california making millions of dollars and left it all behind to come to rural alabama because there were uh men or excuse me there were women and and children who were severely oppressed marginalized and forgotten so he came and basically opened up a clinic for them in a house and he lived in the tree house 300 square foot tree house to give his life for those that were in need. And, and he said, and the doctor's phrase to him was, you know, in life, you have to serve something. In our culture, most people serve comfort. Their own personal comfort, their own personal ease. Possessions do that, right? Greed is for that very purpose, to protect and save ourselves so that we, in case of a really, really severe rainy day, so we don't have to work ever again. We can play golf all day long and do whatever we want to do, right? And there's this, this part of human beings like, we just want to feel comfortable. And Jesus is coming and saying, that can't be the defining characteristic of the life of those who seek first my kingdom it literally acts as a distraction it will keep you blinded if the desire for comfort and ease defines your life the third thing he names is worry verse 22 through 26 says do not worry about your life verse 22 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and body, more than clothes. He comes and says, worry. Jesus names worrying every day about necessities such as food and clothes. You're worried about all of these things. But worry literally acts as a distraction. So I'll just say this. Everybody listen. If you would say that your life is marked by perpetual worrying, then good news. You can stop that and trust Jesus and all of a sudden see his kingdom. Worry literally keeps you from seeing the kingdom of God. And then he goes on in the con because worry really is all about control and you trying to control situations to control life. He says in verse uh, 25, who of you by worrying control can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Who of you by worrying, trying to control the situation, can make something happen? You can't. So a distraction of worry, a distraction of control. And at this point, Jesus then he comes to the point and says, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Don't worry about fear of man. Fear God. Why? Because he loves you as a primary characteristic of his relationship and his view of you. Do not be afraid. He loves you more than sparrows. He cares about you. Seek first the kingdom. And he says this, and I want you to hear this very clearly. For those of you who are praying for revival and praying for God's movement, praying for the, this movement of God, he says, the inheritance of my kingdom is given to those who seek first the kingdom. You want to see God's movement and God's fullness and the power of God move? If, then your life has to be a life focused first as priority and primary pursuit on the kingdom of God. A church with mixture, a people with mixture of the world and the kingdom will not see the fullness of God's kingdom move. To the church without mixture, I give my spirit without measure, I heard someone once say. To the church without mixture, I give my spirit without measure, without, without a measuring rod, right? The fullness, listen, Ezekiel 47, the river that is so over our heads that it now has control of us and we have submitted ourselves to it. We're not worrying. We're not trying to control anything. We've given ourselves wholeheartedly over to Jesus and said, your kingdom first, not my comfort not my own pleasures, not my own desires, right? I'm not going to fear man. All they can do is kill my body. I'm going to fear and revere the one who looks at me with great love. We want to see his kingdom come. Then seek first his kingdom as a primary and priority of pursuit. And then he says something very sobering and very simple to understand. In verse 35 and 36, he says, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. He comes and says, guys, in the context of our life, we have to be ready. 
Be dressed in readiness. Keeping your lamps lit, it's a practical way of saying you can never slumber. You can't sleep on this. You can't say, well, I'm going to serve Jesus here and I'm going to call it fall asleep over here and do my own thing. No. He said you have to be ready at all times and actively waiting to open the door for the master whenever he knocks. Because verse 40, the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Listen. You read that, and we read it in Matthew, you read it here in Luke, and you think second coming of Christ, and he could come any day. And I'm sitting here saying Jesus is coming every day. We don't just look for the second coming. We look for his momentary daily coming, the moment he wants to bring breakthrough, the moment he wants to bring salvation, the moment he wants to say to you, I want to use you to lead your neighbor to Jesus. Will you be ready? Because I'm going to be knocking on your door sometime this week. And I'm going to knock. Are you ready right now for me to knock on the door? Are you ready for that moment when you're going to lay hands on the sick because I have so compelled you, right, to seek first the kingdom? My kingdom is to bring healing for those who need restoration. Are you you ready? Are you prepared? Are you waiting to like, are you sitting there? Listen, I love it. When I listen, my favorite thing is when I go to someone's house who has kids, went to the Penley's house uh, for 4th of July. And I, I love this. Uh, Noah and sailor, we drive up and they are sitting at the window like this because they can't wait for Anna, Catherine and Sarah to get there. They don't care about us. They're for the girls to get there, right? They're sitting there ready. And literally we drive in and the door opens. That's what I want to be like with Jesus Every day and seeking first his kingdom. His hand is right here and I open it because I know it's there. That's what we're talking about. Seeking first the kingdom. Priority. Primary calling. I'm giving my life. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, oh, I don't have time. I die to the idol of time in our culture. Now listen. I said, somebody's going to offend you again. I said several months ago, we stop making an idol of your children. That you say no to the things of God and pursuing God because, well, your children don't want it. They don't want to go after that. They don't want to do that. The Gundermans just moved to India with two small adopted children to give their lives in a hundred degree weather every single day with one little bitty air conditioner in their home in obedience to God. The waters just left to go to Louisville, not knowing a single person taking, listen, a massive, massive, massive pay cut to go through this in obedience to God. Someone this week said no to your child, said no to something because you wanted to obey God. Nothing can keep you from putting Jesus first, not even your children. Some of us have to say, God, what are the pieces of fear of man? God, what does that look like in my life? Pursuit of comfort and possessions and pleasure. What does that look like? Like you all recognize that's a primary issue for every single one of us in our culture, right? I mean, you know that. Be dressed in readiness. And let me just tell you something. Would you rather have what you can create in your own strength? Living for the world, 
what God desires to give you from heaven as you pursue his kingdom. Which one means more to you? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, your desire is to wake us up from our slumber, to put us in a place of obedience, to answer the call, the phone when you call, Jesus. This is your desire. Lord, we just say we want you. We want more of you. We want all of you. We want to pick up the phone and live in obedience and live for your kingdom and receive your kingdom on earth as an inheritance now because I want the fullness of what was I want the fullness of God. I want the I want the pieces of Eden back in this world and God rather than the brokenness that defines so much of where we live and how we live. And we say, Jesus, at Vintage, we want to be awakened. And God, only you can wake up hearts and souls. Only you can do it. Only your word spoken to, can divide between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Only your word can come and split us, God, from the fear of man and to die to it and to live to the fear of God, understanding I don't have to be afraid because you're so madly in love and intimate with me, God, every day of my life. Jesus, awaken us. Awaken us in Jesus' name. Father, we are so tired of living for a world that is going to die. We want to live for your kingdom, God. We want to love the sinners with the core of our being like Jesus did. So we're not talking about them. We're praying for them and giving the best of ourselves that they may know Jesus. That we are coming and saying, listen, we can pray for healing and breakthrough in your life because we know the creator, God. We don't want to talk about people. We want to love them, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we're asking for conviction this morning to awaken us, God. Jesus, we need you. We pray this in your name. A couple of things this morning.